0: Hey everyone, welcome to Northridge Church On The Line. So glad you joined us here today. So last week, as most of us know, was Easter. And we had an amazing time worshiping together. Whether you joined us in the room or online, either way, man, it was was just awesome how God showed up. And we're still getting stories and messages from a lot of you about yourself or about your family and how God really moved and, and just really... Just showed up in an amazing way last week for Easter. So, we're excited to see what God is going to do going forward. So, what I want to do is I want to start by showing you a picture. So, if you look at this picture, you can see that this is a picture of some trees. This is a picture that I took, and the picture is looking north, just so that we know kind of the direction I'm looking. I'm looking north and taking a picture of these trees, and it's obvious from the picture that these are trees, the evidence is clear. But what you also might look and see is that the trees, the branches, are all pointing a certain direction. Do you notice that? They're all pointing east. And the reason for that is very simple and might be obvious to some of us. The reason is because of the power of the wind. The wind usually blows from west to east. That's usually how our weather patterns go, and so it's obvious from the evidence that we see that the wind, the power of the wind is there, and it blows from west to east, at least most of the time. We can't see the wind. If I were to take a video, we can't see the wind, but we can see the evidence of the wind and the power of the wind on those trees. Well, today what I want to do is I want to do the same thing. I want to give you evidence. I want to give you some thoughts today about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. So as we promised last week on Easter, we said we were going to continue the series that we're in called Dust about how we get close to Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more his influence and his power rubs off on us. And we promised that we're going to continue Easter for another week. And so today, the promise was, we're gonna focus our message today on telling about and asking the question, why did the resurrection of Jesus actually happen? How can we trust that it might have actually happened, that it was actually true and accurate as we have it in the Bible? So that is what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at that. Now, the first question that you might be asking is, well, why are we so worried about the resurrection of Jesus. Why is it important? Why do we make such a big deal of Easter and everything that goes with that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one main reason is this. It's because the resurrection of Jesus, the risen reality of Jesus, gives us hope. It gives us hope that we can trust in the power and the divinity, the fact that Jesus was fully human, but also fully God that He was not just one or the other, that He had the power and authority to not only die on the cross for our sins, but also rose from the grave. Because here's the truth, something that we all know. If Jesus claimed, which He did in Scripture over and over again, that He was going to defeat sin by dying for us, and that He was going to defeat death by resurrecting from the dead, If he claimed that he was going to do that, but then he dies on the cross, but then he can't resurrect from the grave, what is Jesus? Is there any hope in that? No. Is Jesus trustworthy? No. The resurrection is important because everything that Jesus claimed about himself has to be true. Otherwise, we can't trust anything else that he said or anything else that he did. He's a big liar. In other words if the resurrection is not true. But what I want to offer to you today is the truth and why, at least, we can trust that the resurrection story can be considered to be true. Now, what I don't want us to do is to go into today's message thinking that I'm going to provide you with concrete, physical artifacts or evidence from a museum or that we dug out of the ground that proves, hey, the resurrection happened and this is exactly why. Concrete proof, can't refute it, here you go. Or that I would produce, you know, some rock that we had somewhere on the planet that we found that if we tested the DNA, that we can prove Jesus sat on this rock after he died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. And I'm going to show you, oh, this is, we ran the DNA sequencing and we know it was Jesus's DNA and all that. No, I'm not going to do any of that. But what I am going to do is simply I'm going to give you food for thought today. I'm just going to give you some thoughts to think about, some things to consider when you think about the resurrection story and whether or not it might be true. These are some things to consider as you do that. Now, You might be here watching or listening today, and you may already believe in God, you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Word of God, you believe in the Bible already. That's awesome. So today will just kind of be maybe a reminder, maybe a review, maybe it's just some good information for you to share with people in your life who maybe don't believe in the resurrection yet. That's awesome. This will be a great review and a reminder for you. Maybe you're here and you're kind of on the fence about Jesus and the resurrection or the Bible. That's awesome. This is just some things to think about. Or maybe you're here, and maybe the whole reason you're here is the question intrigues you, but you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the Bible yet, and so you're, but you're at least open to listening. Cool. We're so glad that you're here. No matter why you're here, or where you're at on that spectrum of faith, of belief, we're just glad that you're here. And we want you to know that our church is a safe place for you, no matter where you are on that spectrum. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for jumping in, basically just being willing to listen to what we have to say and offer today. So here's some food for thought to just think about. So let me start by summarizing the story that leads up to the resurrection of Jesus. It's important to know how he got to this place before we talk about it. So on Thursday of Holy Week, that was the story of Jesus when he has the Last Supper with his disciples they finish supper, they go to the garden, and at that point, Jesus, as we know, is betrayed by Judas, arrested, and hauled off. The next day, Jesus is put on trial, falsely accused, and then the Pharisees and some other groups of people, they kind of they manipulate the crowd to call for the crucifixion, the execution of Jesus. And so later on that Friday, that's exactly what happens. Jesus is given over to the authorities, to the Roman authorities, to be flogged, tortured, crucified on a cross, nailed through his hands and his feet. And a few hours later, Jesus dies on the cross. Now, an important fact that we know from the Bible that we need to understand at this point is that it tells us that a soldier that was there guarding and watching the crucifixion happen took his spear and jabbed it into the side of Jesus, through his ribs, into the side of his body. And it says, it's recorded that when the spear entered his body, that blood and water flowed out. Now, this is really important. If you're a physician, you already know why this is important, but let me just tell you why this is important. It's important to know that blood and water flowed because that proves that Jesus had actually died. Now, the spear being thrust in, of course, would have killed him. But it was not just to kill him. It was to check, to make sure that Jesus was actually dead. And it was very clear that he was. So Jesus died on the cross that day. They took Jesus' body down. And they took him to a tomb. They wrapped him in the typical ceremonial, you know, linens and wrappings. And they placed him inside the tomb. They rolled a huge stone over the entrance. They sealed the tomb. And then they placed guards in the, outside the tomb to guard Jesus' tomb and his body to make sure nobody messed with it. So now what I want to do is I want to turn to John chapter 20. This is the account of what happened on Easter Sunday morning. I actually shared a portion of this scripture last week for Easter. Now I want to read kind of that whole piece, the first several verses of that. So John chapter 20, starting with verse 1, this is all about Easter Sunday morning. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the way, side note, notice that John, who is writing this and writing about himself and Peter running, he makes a very clear point that he got to the tomb first. <laughs> Typical guys, I got there first. I ran fa- I'm faster than you, right? Can you see that? Just hilarious that John makes this a really significant point. And by the way, it's not the only time he mentions that fact, that he got there first. So then he gets there first, and he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Clearly Simon Peter was a slower runner. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, And he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. So I'm not going to read this next several parts, and we'd have to go back to several of the other books. But basically, what happens at this point is Jesus appears to first Mary Magdalene and the other women who came to the tomb first that morning. Then he shows himself, he appears to the disciples that evening. And then over the next several days and several weeks, he appears to hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, at one time we know, according to the Apostle Paul that records it later, that Jesus appeared to 500 people. A group of 500 people all at once, they saw him at the same time. And so that's what's going on. Now, we also need to know, this is important to know, that Jesus appeared to them in bodily physical form. He didn't come to them in spirit form or in, as a ghost or in some other weird manifestation. This was actually Jesus in his normal body showing them. We have records of Jesus talking with people, eating with people, walking along the road with people. He actually invites people to touch his hands and his feet and his side to prove that, you know, these are the scars. This is what actually happened to me. I was crucified on the cross, and you can see this is, you can see all this stuff, touch and feel. You can see the scars that are there. This is Jesus in physical form in his actual body. This is not like some spirit or ghost form of him. This is him in resurrected, true bodily form. That's important for us to know. Now, As we know, the resurrection happened approximately 2,000 years ago. So for the last hundreds and hundreds of years, we've had scholars and scientists, archaeologists, experts who have studied the resurrection story. They've looked into this. and, And basically, when it comes down to it, there are five theories that people propose for the resurrection story. Five basic theories, what they think are possibilities For the resurrection story and explaining what actually happened with Jesus and his life in that time period. So what I want to do is I want to give you these five theories and I want us to understand something. That these five theories, they're not the only five theories out there, but they are the main five theories and the categories of theories that we have. So what this means is all the theories that you're going to hear about the resurrection story, out of all of those theories, the vast majority of them fit into these five main categories of theories that I'm about to give to you. All right, so what are the five theories? Let's jump in. Theory number one, this is the obvious one, that the resurrection story is true just as it's told, not only in the Bible, but in other historical documents. So that's the first theory, that everything as it's told is true and happened just as it said. Theory number two, this is one that maybe you've heard of, This is called the swoon or the coma theory. This is the theory that Jesus never actually died. He just went into a coma or he fainted or, you know, he swooned or whatever, or his blood pressure went down. And Jesus Jesus never actually died, but he just fell asleep or he went into a coma or he lost consciousness. And eventually he came back to consciousness and he somehow escaped the tomb. So that's called the swoon or the coma theory. Theory number three. This is the so called conspiracy theory. So, this is probably an obvious one that a lot of people would think about. In fact, this is the theory that the disciples or the followers of Jesus came up with this elaborate hoax in order to demonstrate the power and the authority of Jesus. And so, they planned this all out ahead of time. He's going to be crucified on a cross. buried, and then, you know, we're going we're gonna to figure out ways to kind of come up with this conspiracy theory and prove to people that Jesus has power over death, that it was a whole conspiracy. Theory number four, this is called the hallucination theory. So this theory simply says that all the people that claimed they saw Jesus actually hallucinated, that they were manipulated by a hallucination in their brain or in their heart or in their mind or in their vision. In some way, they thought they saw Jesus, but it wasn't actually Jesus. They hallucinated in some way. And then theory number five is the myth theory. That after Jesus died, the disciples and other people, they had to come up with some explanation for why Jesus died, but why he didn't actually die. And so they came up with all the stories that we have now to describe and explain why Jesus's power exists. It's called the myth theory. They created a myth after the fact. So now what I want to do is I want to talk about some of these things. Now, what I would love to do, and maybe what you would like me to do, is walk through all five of those theories one by one and and kind of dismantle all of them, except for the first one, which says the resurrection story is true, but the other four to dismantle all of them in, in short order. Well, the truth is we simply don't have enough time to tackle all five of these theories, each individually, and give all the evidence that we, all, that we have for all around the world to kind of, you know, persuade us on all five of these theories. So here's what I do want to do. I want to give you three simple thoughts, three simple facts that help us consider Why the resurrection story is more plausible, is more possible to be true than not. So that's what I'm going to do. Again, I'm not proving anything, giving you physical evidence. I simply want to give you food for thought today. Three simple facts, three simple thoughts of why most of or all of these theories can be disproven and that the resurrection story, the resurrection of Jesus, actually so that's what I want to do. So let's start with the first thought or the first fact. So one fact that clearly just, it knocks out pretty much all of the theories that try to say the resurrection story didn't happen, that Jesus didn't raise from the dead. This one knocks all of them out, except perhaps for the hallucination theory. This one, you know, maybe you could make an argument for that could that this one doesn't explain it away, but it explains all the others away. And that thought, that fact is the behavior and the life of all the followers of Jesus after the resurrection happened. So what am I talking about? Well, let me go back to Scripture and tell you one thing, read for you one thing that happened on Easter Sunday evening. So I'm going to go back to John chapter 20, and I'm going to skip down to verse 19. Listen to what it says. It says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. "Praise or peace be with you," he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you." Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So essentially Jesus is there in physical form, giving them and handing off authority to the disciples in that moment. But here's what I want to ask. Do you remember what these same disciples did when Jesus was betrayed and arrested that Thursday night before he was crucified the next day? Do you remember what the disciples did? Do you remember what happened? They all scattered. They ran. They got out of there. They turned tail and ran. In other words, they were scaredy cats. They took off. In Jesus' most desperate moment of need, they, they left him. They scattered. They got out of there. In fact, we know what Peter did. Remember what Peter did that night or later on? He denied that he even knew Jesus Three times. He denied, no, I don't even know that man. I don't even know Jesus. How, how dare you say that I'm a follower of Jesus? I, I, I deny that I even know him. They betrayed Jesus too. They left him. They scattered. Why? Because they were scared. And then, I, what did I just read? That they saw Jesus in bodily form, but did you notice what they were doing right before that happened? They were behind locked doors, and then remember what it said? Why? Because they were afraid, they were scared of the Jewish leaders. Why are they scared? They're scared because they simply believe that the Jewish leaders are going to do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. They're scared that they're going to be crucified. Now, here's why I make this point. In just a few days, the disciples become the most brave people we've ever heard of. They're gonna start traveling all over the world to tell everyone they possibly can about the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus. They're gonna start spreading the good news that you can have salvation in Jesus because he died for your sins and he rose from the grave. Now, what changed in the disciples to make them go from they can't even stay with Jesus when he's arrested, scared to death, they deny even knowing him, to all of a sudden they're the most brave people on the planet? Well, I can tell you what happened. They saw the risen Lord and Savior Jesus in reality, in bodily form. It changed everything for them. Hope changes everything. And by the way, what did the disciples get for following Jesus faithfully, for sharing the good news of Jesus? They were mocked, they were tortured, they were constantly put in danger, they were arrested, they were betrayed, they were hated, they were insulted. Their families were put in danger. And by the way, according to historical record, according to everything that we can find in history, all of the disciples, except for just two of them, all of them died excruciating, horrible deaths. Why? Because they believed in Jesus. They died for their faith. They were martyrs for their faith. Now, let me ask you this question. This is really important. If they died for their faith, if they went through all of that, why would they die... For a lie. Why would the disciples go through all of that to protect a lie, a conspiracy, a myth? Or maybe Jesus did go into a coma, and then Jesus said, Hey, guess what? <laughs> I'm here again. I, I just fell asleep for a while there. I hit my, my head really bad, or whatever. If that was the truth, if, 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 if this whole thing was a lie, why would they die for Jesus? Why would they do all this? The answer is they wouldn't. Nobody would would not go through all this torture and this pain for a lie. So the only other explanation that can be true is that this actually happened, and they knew it, and they were willing to die for it. Hope changes everything. They were willing to do this because Jesus truly did resurrect from the grave. So let me give you another thought. So in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that, and by the way, the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're simply four different accounts from four different people of the same story of Jesus. So the resurrection story is simply from four different people's viewpoints. And in all four of the viewpoints, in all four Gospels, we find that all four of them tell us that the first people to discover the empty tomb, to discover that Jesus body was gone were the women. Notice it was not Simon Peter. It was not John. It was not some of the other disciples. It was Mary Magdalene and some of the other Marys and some of the other women that came to the tomb that day to prepare and take care of Jesus's body. They were the first ones on the scene to realize and to discover the tomb was empty. They're the first ones to report this to the disciples and to everybody else. So why is that important? Well, it's really important for this reason. In Jesus' day, the testimony of women was not considered to be as high as men. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that's good. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not saying I even believe that. I don't. I believe that's a wrong view of any person, but especially, in this case, women. But in that day and age, and by the way, husbands... Do not say amen to these things, right? You're just going to be in trouble with the people you're sitting next to right now in the living room or that you're riding with in the car or whatever. Do not get yourself in that mess. But I will say this, that in Jesus' day, at that time, in that part of the world, a woman's testimony was not considered to hold as much weight as a man's. Again, whether or not that was right, obviously that's not right, but that was the truth. So if the disciples or any other group was trying to create a story and come up with this conspiracy theory or or, or write a myth that that kind of supports what they all had been believing but had been proven untrue because Jesus just died, if they were trying to protect this conspiracy, this lie, they certainly would not have had women be the first ones to be the first witnesses of the empty tomb. They just wouldn't have set it on that foundation because it made no sense to do that. Unless what is true is that the first people to discover the empty tomb were actually the women. That God allowed them and wanted them to be the first ones to discover that Jesus was alive, was resurrected. It's an awesome, awesome thing. Not only is it an amazing thing for those that They got to see that. And and by the way, after Mary discovered the tomb, Jesus appeared to her in bodily form, and the other women that were there. The disciples didn't get to see that. Simon Peter didn't get to do that. John didn't get to do that. Now, later that night, yes, they did. But Jesus appeared to the women first. How cool, how amazing is that? But it also proves that this is only told because it's true. It's the only thing that makes sense that it actually happened. So let me give you one final thought. If if none of those kind of resonate or fit well or whatever, then this one is a very powerful one. So some of the best and most powerful evidence of the resurrection is the lack of evidence. Yeah, you heard me right. That was probably like, uh, wait, that doesn't make sense. The most powerful, some of the most powerful evidence of the resurrection is the lack of evidence. Now, when I say lack of evidence, I don't mean lack of evidence for the resurrection story being true. No, there's a lot of evidence for that. What I'm saying is there's a huge lack of evidence against the resurrection. We just don't have it. It doesn't exist. It's not there. People can come up with theories as per like the five that I mentioned earlier on in the message. People can come up with theories and ideas and, and things that they think, well, this is why it can't happen. And we all know humans can't raise you know, from the dead, all those kind of things. And they come up with theories as to explain that. We all can come up with theories. But when it comes to looking at and trying to find evidence from people that didn't want this to be true, that were enemies of Jesus, there's a serious lack of evidence against the resurrection. It just, we just don't have it. For example, let me ask you these questions. Where did the burial of Jesus happen? Where was he buried? Very simple answer is we know he was buried in and around Jerusalem. Now let me ask you this. Where did the resurrection happen? Jerusalem, didn't it? It happened in the same place. It wasn't like Jesus was buried in Jerusalem and then the disciples all traveled to another part of Israel or to Nazareth or to Bethlehem or, or some other country and then started to kind of tell all the people these lies that Jesus was resurrected from the grave and, and all this kind of stuff and they didn't have the opportunity to go and prove it to themselves. No, where Jesus was buried was Jerusalem. Where Jesus was resurrected was Jerusalem. This is why this is important. This is so critically important. If anybody wanted to prove that the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, all they have to do, we all know this, all they have to do is take themselves or take those people to the tomb and show them this is where Jesus is laid. Look, let's open the tomb. Look, there's his body, done. At that point, guess what happens? If any enemies of Jesus do that, what happens? They squash Christianity, like that. They prove that Jesus and the disciples were frauds. They prove that they were liars. They prove that there's no way that this is true because they can prove Jesus' body. Here is Jesus' body. See, he's clearly dead. And if you're kind of thinking, well, maybe nobody had motive to do that. Oh my goodness. There were so many people that had motive to prove that Jesus did not resurrect from the grave. Think about the Romans. The Christians and the Jews were just, they they were battling. They were causing all kinds of problems. Case in point, Jesus and the conflict around that. The Romans had every motive and every opportunity that they wanted to prove that Jesus was just a normal guy. Why didn't they prove it? Because they couldn't. The Pharisees, they're the ones that called for Jesus to be executed. They clearly have a motive to try. They were enemies of Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. Why didn't they simply squash Christianity from the very first day, the very first moment that the disciples started telling everybody Jesus is alive, he's resurrected. Why didn't they squash it right there? Why didn't Christianity die in the first few days, the first few weeks, the first few months of existence? All you have to do is provo- provide evidence that shows Jesus is still dead. You know why they didn't do it? Because they couldn't. There is a serious lack of evidence to prove that the resurrection story isn't true. One of the greatest things of evidence in any court of law is when an enemy of the other person who is trying to defend the truth comes in and presents evidence that proves the other story is true. Or if there's somebody that is at odds with this other person who's on trial for the truth, If they do not present evidence against this person, but they have every motive, every reason to do that because they're enemies of this person, but they never produce evidence to disprove the truth over here, it's great evidence, isn't it, to prove that that person is actually telling the truth. The serious lack of evidence against the resurrection shows us that the resurrection story has to be true. So, hope changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Let me wrap up by telling you a story. So, in a certain large city in, the, in this country, there was a program that a school had where if a student ended up in the hospital for whatever reason, an accident or, or whatever happened, they ended up in the, in the hospital for several days, they had this program where some of the teachers would go to the hospital, and tried to tutor them and, you know, keep their, their schoolwork going so they didn't far, fall far behind. Well, one day, a, one of the boys ended up in the hospital and was going to be there for several weeks, actually. And so one of the teachers got this message that she needed to go to the hospital and, and, and teach this boy and tutor this boy so that he didn't fall far behind. Uh, in his schoolwork. And so she got the name of the boy and and the room number of the hospital. She went to the boy's teacher and said, hey, what do you need to do? And she said, well, I'm going through nouns and adverbs right now, so I need you to teach the boy nouns and adverbs so he doesn't fall too far behind. And so she left and she went to the hospital and she found the room uh, and the room number and, and found where the boy was. But what she hadn't discovered, nobody had told her what had happened to this boy. Well, this boy had received massive burns all over his body. And so as you can imagine, she was not quite prepared for the sight when she walked into the hospital room. And so this teacher was kind of in shock when she walked in, and so because of her shock and because of, you know, she's kind of trying to deal with the fact that this boy is obviously in pain and and dealing with, is truly fighting for his life actually at this point. She kind of tried to wrestle with that, and so she's here to try to teach this boy nouns and adverbs and, she just didn't feel like she did a very good job. She kind of stammered and stumbled and said, hey, I'm here because the school sent me and and you need to learn nouns and adverbs. And so she did the best she could, but when she walked out of there, she just kind of felt disappointed. She didn't feel like she did did a good job, but she just, she did the best she could, but she just didn't feel like she did a great job. Well, the next day she received a call from the nurse. And the first thing the nurse asked, the teacher said, hey, what did you do with that boy yesterday? And the teacher right away, she's like, oh no, I did a terrible job. I, I made things worse. And, and, and she kind of started to apologize. And the, and the nurse said, no, no, no. There has been an unbelievable change in the boy's outlook and attitude in life. We have been worried about this boy. We have thought, man, he's fighting for his life and, and, and the treatment has not been going well. He hasn't been responding to it. And it's just, it just hasn't been going well. And we've been really worried about his attitude and how his outlook on life is. And after you came yesterday, the nurse said, everything has changed. He's responding to treatment. His outlook is better. He, he's, he's smiling more. Like, it, it just, it's like it's a different person. And so she said, I, just what did you do? And the teacher couldn't believe it. Well, the boy explained a couple weeks later what had happened after he had recovered and, and had gotten a lot better. He said to everybody, he said, well, what happened was when the teacher was sent to me to teach me nouns and adverbs, I realized that they would not do that if they thought I was not going to make it, if they thought I was going to die. In other words, the boy said, hope changed everything for me. Hope changed everything. And so that's what I want to offer to you today. That if the resurrection story, that Jesus truly defeated sin on the cross, but that he also defeated death for you and I by resurrecting from the dead, you and I can trust that the salvation that Jesus offers to us gives us hope of eternity with him. Hope changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. So the question I have for you today is this where is your hope? Where does your hope lie in your life? Have you put your hope in Jesus? Will you put your hope in Jesus? My hope, my prayer, is that you would discover that the resurrection is true, that Jesus is true, that Jesus is real, that he loves you, and that you can have hope because of it. Jesus, I thank you for not only dying on the cross for our sins, but for resurrecting from the grave to defeat sin and death for us. As you know, we talked about all last week on Easter. You did all of these things because you are for us, because you love us. So help us to believe you, trust in you, and follow you. Because hope changes everything. I pray this and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, next week, April 18th, Sunday, April 18th, we're going to be back together in person and online for what we're calling Hope in a Future Sunday. We're going to share some cool things that God is doing and that we believe God wants to do in and through our church. So make sure you join us for that, either in person or online. And always remember, I always want you to know, I love you and God loves you.